You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. Let's talk more about the Kluber deal. Um, I feel like that's all people probably want to talk about anyway, so I think that is where we should begin this show today. So we've got about 24 hours. Is anyone really feeling better? I know I'm not. It's it's hard to process, even on a level where you're like, Kluber was clearly showing signs of decline. He then had a freak injury, followed by another injury, which is something we see in guys who are a little bit older. He had been heavily used. He's not the Corey Kluber of a few years ago. I would be surprised if he was better than the third best starter on the Indians. And there's a good chance he's going to make more money than he is worth his production. Now, the team like the Rangers are betting on the opposite of this, that he's going to come back to form. But you can just look at the numbers and see the velocity had been declining the past few years. I thought he was someone where maybe he would get by a bit on Guile and a bit more. But unfortunately, um, that's just not what we what we saw in a short sample size uh, last year. So at this point, when you're at the Cleveland Indians, you have a guy making $17.5 million and the Indians are looking to move on. The report came out that they asked the Los Angeles Angels, Los Angeles Angels for Brandon Marsh, which if you've been reading my stuff, that's someone I said that they should ask for. He made a lot of sense in terms of a guy the Indians should look for and try to get, plus another piece. Now, Brandon Marsh is a top, uh, you know, I talked about him on the show. Do I really need to talk about him anymore? I think he's a potential five-tool outfielder. But the Indians, of course, did not land Brandon Marsh in a second piece, and the Angels kind of backed away from that request. Now, the fact of the matter is that they also sat back and thought that Emmanuel Chase was similar to Brandon Marsh in a second piece, which is really interesting. I think that's Emmanuel Chase, Emmanuel Classe, sorry. Um, I think that's the thing we really have to take apart in this episode and look at. The Indians clearly evaluate Class A differently than the rest of us. They looked at him and valued him more than Brandon Marsh, is what it's seeming. And, um, if the, I mean, I don't understand that. The Indians are smarter than I am, though, so I'm going to have some faith in them. But that is an interesting evaluation, that you would take a guy in AA who's a potential, you know, five-tool outfielder, and view him as lesser value than a reliever who has been in the majors. But he's still a reliever. There's still limited value. There's a reason why relievers generate such low wars compared to every other position. Um, That's not to say, again, there's not value in a reliever, especially a reliever you're going to have for the next five years. But one can make a strong case that two years of a good starter is worth more than five years of a reliever. Um, And I'm not saying two years of a, a great starter. Uh, I'm just saying two years of a good starter is going to be better than five years of just about any reliever on the planet. So that's where we are. Now, when you get right down to it, uh, yes, this is a two-player deal that the Indians did. Delano Shields, I will 100% stand by, was someone the Rangers made the Indians take. That his, uh, you know, 2.4 million projected salary was to help balance out the 17.5 that the Rangers were taking on in the deal. Something else that came out and wasn't as talked about today, though, is the fact that the Indians also sent cash in this deal. We don't know how much, approximately uh, in some degree less than a million to help cover the fact that there is a million-dollar trade kicker for Corey Kluber. Zach Meisel originally reported that no cash was included, but it came out that cash was indeed included in this deal. Um, 
you know, we had heard there were more parts to the deal when it was reported. It turns out that was the extra part, not something coming to the Indians, uh, even though we held out hope. It was that the Indians were sending a little cash the Rangers' way. So taking on DeShield saves about 2.4. Uh, the Rangers get a little bit of cash, and Kluber's option turns from a player option to a vesting option. Uh, if he pitches very well, the Rangers are going to be very happy that he has uh, that vesting option and will be more than happy to uh, pick it up. So while I talk about the Shields as kind of more in there to help balance out funds, you know, he's a plus runner and an average to above average defender uh, in purely center field and left. I saw some people talk about, didn't he used to play second? That was his dad. Uh, he is not a second baseman. He has one game where he played three innings at second. He hasn't played right in the majors at all because he doesn't have an arm. So he is purely left field and center field only. He's a right-handed bat, which means... You're not going to platoon him with Leplo, and it also, I mean, Mercado is at center field. You're not going to platoon him anyways. So his best case situation on this Cleveland Indians team is a fourth outfielder who's a good defensive replacement and pinch runner. Uh, that's it. Uh, Greg Allen provides very similar things at a much cheaper cost, saving you about $2 million. The Indians, I mean, for a team that's out there supposedly making this deal because they still are trying to figure out their payroll, then what the hell are they doing? You know, pardon my language. Why are you going out and trading for Sandy Leone and paying him $2 million? If Delano DeShields is anything other than a cash grab, why the heck are you taking him for next? That's $4 million right there that uh, could have easily been spent elsewhere or not been spent at all if they are so cash-strapped. Like, I have been the most ardent defender of this franchise um, and I even get what they did with this deal, but at, at the same time, it's like, these are just, it's moronic. Like, there's no other way around it. This is moronic. If Sandy Leone is not good, Boston would have cut him. Yeah, you would have had to fight some guys in waivers, but I don't think he's worth 500000 more than Kevin P. He definitely doesn't, you know, he hits about the same level, and, uh, you know, he frames about the same level, but we have 500000 more for an older rental who's about three years removed from being a decent hitter. I'm for a team that's pinching pennies at every turn or to add a, an outfielder who is... You know, if Zimmer is healthy, Zimmer is a better option than DeShields. He's a better defender. He's a better runner. He has more power. He does everything better in DeShields. Um, if Greg Allen is the same guy, if not, I would rather have Allen and save that too. Like, I don't understand. And th- this is my biggest gripe, is this Indians front office is pretty successfully below in the last two uh, off seasons. And they made the World Series, and they went out and got Edwin Encarnacion, and that was a big deal. That was the biggest contract in team history, biggest average annual salary. And they went out and they tried, and uh, no one showed up. So I, I get that defense of argument of, like, we spent like we've never spent before, and the fans didn't give a darn. Uh, okay, well, since then, you've tried to scoop at the bottom of the market in the wrong way. Like, going out and signing a Yonder Alonso is almost always a sucker's bet. It's a first baseman who died in the second half, and you're investing a multi-year contract in him. When, you know, if you're going to go for the bottom, really go for the bottom. Don't go for these mid-bottom guys. It's like, go and try to, you know, the, the next year, that's what they did. They went out and they got, you know, Cargo and those guys, but um, none of them really worked out. But those weren't, you know, the, the guy who worked out is the one they cut. Matt Joyce was... a pretty successful part of the Atlanta Braves season a year ago. The Indians had him in camp and let him go for some of these other options. So they're just completely failing to evaluate guys. They had Joyce in camp and decided to move on. 
so they could uh, run out Hanley Ramirez and friends. And then Matt Joyce had a productive season. They're they're terrible in free agency, um, just awful. Uh, it's one of those things that you probably can't harp on enough, and it's almost like great they have money to spend, but do we trust them to spend any of it? Can they identify talent? And it, free agency has just been a disaster show for them over the past few years. Um, their best bets, I mean, their best free agents have been the Scott Casmeers of the world, where he is. 100% off the scrap heap after not pitching for a few years. It's finding Scott Atchison and him being effective. It's finding Dan Otero and him being effective. Nick Goody. Uh, finding these guys that are on the margins and those guys being effective. But in terms of the guys they sign and give a little bit of money to, that's been a disaster. And right now, the fact that you know they drop payroll, something like $30 million between 2017, or I'm sorry, 2018 and 2019, and right now their payroll is in line to be 40 million cheaper. Um, you don't have to go out and spend it all, but you have to go out and spend some. You can't, they can't operate at that low of an income and then not feel like anything more than a slap in the face to the fan and base. I'm not saying you go out and you sign Josh Donaldson. I'm not, I wouldn't go out and, and frankly sign Marcelo Zuna. Go and get Corey Dickerson. Uh, he would make your outfield better. Go out and get uh, Cesar Hernandez. He would definitely make your infield better. And honestly, for as much as people are like, but then Nolan Jones would be blocked. Like, I'm a huge Nolan Jones guy. But we're not sure that Nolan Jones is going to stick at third base long term. And we're not sure he's going to be ready next year. And even if he is ready next year, he's a platoon guy at best next year. Nolan Jones' most likely outcome is at the end of next year, the Indians do not pick up Carlos Santana's option. They move on from Carlos Santana, and Nolan Jones shifts in to be the first baseman of the future. That is Nolan Jones' most likely outcome, if we are being 100% honest with ourselves as fans. So go out there, add Cesar Hernandez. He'll make you better in multiple ways. Add Corey Dickerson. He'll make you better in multiple ways. You make this trade for Class A. He's now a central member of your pen. Maybe you don't need to chase another pen arm as much at this point. You need an outfielder. You need a second baseman. Go out and sign those two guys. And then honestly, you know, if you're not going to sign Cesar Hernandez, or if you're not going to sign, if you're not going to sign one of those guys, go out and trade for J. A. Happ. Figure out a trade. If it's, I don't know. It to me, it's like Happ and Anjuar for straight salary relief doesn't quite feel fair. But when it's Anjuar and Happ for Brad Hand, that feels like too much something in there maybe but at the same time hands cheap for the next two years as a lefty and he had really productive numbers so I, if i'm just looking strictly at the yankees then my offer is going to be uh hand to the yankees J. happ michael anjuar and lucas gill to the indians gill being another one of those flamethrower types in the mold of uh, uh of some of the guys they got and and while they're taking on all the salary it's not they're adding by taking salary. Like, if you can fix Hap, he's a tradable asset at the deadline 100% as a back-end lefty in a market where teams could use pitching. I'm not saying you're going to get anything great for him, but especially if you eat some of that uh, salary, the Indians could find a way to flip him, and they have the depth where, okay, so Hap's your fifth. Um, I'm not 100% sold on Plesak at this point. A lot of indicators show there's some big concerns there. Um, Logan Allen did have a down year, but he's probably the higher ceiling arm between those guys. That There's some questions in the bullpen and the starting rotation to a degree. Add Hap, get another vet, put him in the back end, see what your uh, your team can do to fix him up, maybe turn him into an asset. 
If you do this trade, you get Gill, who's an interesting another flamethrower. Andrew R., you can pop him at third base and forget about him, or you can put him in the outfield and forget about him, but you get a guy with multiple years of control. If they say no, then I come back with then Clint Frazier and Gill. Uh, they need some relief help. Hand can go slot in over there. Um, the Indians at this point probably don't want to pay him seven to ten million anyways. The Yankees are going to get about ten million dollars in savings, which helps them out and get better at the same time. I think it's a deal that makes logical sense for all sides, and that's a way to spend money. Not necessarily go out and get yourself locked up in a long-term contract. Go out there and chase someone um, possibly overbid. It's a way to effectively leverage uh, the payroll situation they have to go out and use the space they've accumulated to find other ways than free agency if free agency is not what they view as the best investment of funds. A good investment of funds right now is Breaking Tea. They're one of our sponsors. If you want a last-minute sports gift, uh, go to breakingtea.com backslash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams, passion moments. Great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com backslash locked on. And feel free to search the rest of the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. So bringing up the idea with the Yankees, it's just another way to think. Um, you know, it's a way to get a guy. The Yankees have all this buried talent. Um, they flip buried talent. They shed some money. They get a reliever. It makes sense. Uh, they're not giving up the top of their system guys to get that done either. They're able to keep those guys intact. Uh, again, I think it is a very logical trade offer. And frankly, if the Indians did that, that only adds about 10 or so million to their books, maybe 11 million. And at that point, uh, they could still go out and invest more. Like, let's say the Yankees bulk at Andrew R. and instead decide Frazier's the guy they'd rather move. They're tired of the headaches. Cleveland's like, oh, we know him. Let's give him that opportunity to play every day that he clearly wants. And I think Frazier would do better in Cleveland than New York to begin with. I think I've mentioned before, this is a guy who didn't like talking to the media in Akron, uh, let alone New York has to be a headache for him. But you put him out there, gives you a right-hand power back, gives you multiple years of control, and it's someone the Indians know very, very well. And then Gil being the flamethrower, Hap can slot into the back of your rotation. And yes, you gave up Brad Hand, so maybe you then use some of that money and you look into the free agent market. Now, the relief market in free agency isn't great, but again, at this point, I'm saying but again a lot now. That's that's become my uh, um. Uh, apparently, I'm going to have replacement language for that soon. But you already have gotten out and you've added Class A. Karen Chalk's up there. Kyle Nelson's in AAA. Uh, Nick Sandlin will hopefully come back healthy. You spent a second-round pick on him. Uh, a year ago at this time, Sandlin was rated higher than Karen Chalkin system by everybody, and he should be ready to help out at some point next year. So if we head over to roster resources, what doing a deal like this changes for the Indians is instead of Jake Bowers being projected as your left fielder, that's going to be Anjouar or Frazier. Go out and sign Cesar Hernandez, put him at second base, forget about it. No, he's going to be a above-average defender and an above-average hitter. He's going to provide a lot of things, and that way you don't have Christian Arroyo slotted in as your second baseman. Right field, uh, they have Greg Allen listed, but let's be honest, that's basically Jordan Luplo. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully in a platoon with Daniel Johnson. Um, it's a natural platoon. It'd be a great move. Outfield, or outfield, starting rotation, Clevenger, Bieber, Carrasco, Saval, and then you'd have Hap as your fifth. Your bullpen, Wetgren, 
Class A, Perez, Simber, Karinchak, uh, Wood, and Pletko. And if you look out, let's now look at the free agent market for relievers, which is very picked over, to be honest. So we're going to end this show looking at the relievers. At this point, I've shown using what the Indians have done, they can probably still stay right a little bit over $100 million, make the trade that I mentioned, go inside uh, Cesar Hernandez, and still try and find a reliever on this market that makes sense. Quick run through. I'd said it's picked over, but there's still a lot of guys that I find intriguing. Will Harris has been utterly fantastic, a rock in the uh, Astros bullpen and an all-star in 2016. You could make a case he could have been an all-star every single year since they added him, uh, basically in 2015. Since then, a 1-9 year rate, 225, 298, 349-150. Strikeout rates at that point go, you know, 10.3, 10.2, 9.3, 9.7. Walk rates, 2.1, 2.2, 1.4, 2 .1. Basically, any statistical number you want, he's excelled while pitching over 60 innings and appearing in over 60 games a year. High usage guy, so there's the room for concern, but Will Harris has been an absolute stud uh, just because the consistency you almost never see from a reliever. This is the guy who's been consistent. I have Corey Dickerson up. Can I just point out again? I know he's not a reliever, but like especially in the Indians and their current situations, that like, yeah, he's uh, uh, the left-handed bat. But man, him and Luplo, you combine those two guys together, and you have an all-star. Like the way Luplo hits lefties, the way Dickerson hits righties, you just let those two guys DH. Uh, last year in 78 games, a 131 OPS plus. He hit uh, combined. Uh, uh, 304, 341, 565. Like, really good. Just Corey Dickerson, again, really hoping the Indians are paying attention. Daniel Hudson, uh, multi-time Tommy John injury award guy. High uh, high vas fastball velocity, high spin rate. We know the Indians love both of those things. 32 years of age, has experience in the back of the pen. What made him so special for the Nationals down the stretch? Is this the guy whose walk rate has been around three for his career? Uh, it had been around you know, 4.3 in the first half, 3.335. It chopped to 1.4. Probably not sustainable, but uh, something to pay attention to. Craig Stamen, uh, underrated guy. The Indians actually had him, at, and I've talked about him before on the podcast, last two years, 1.9, 1.6 walk rate, 10 strikeouts per nine, 8 strikeouts per nine. He is the older guy amongst this group, but an Ohio kid, which is always a bonus. Steve Chiswick appeared in over 70 games this year for the Cubs and uh, 80 games a year ago. So one of those guys you can just count on to go out there. Uh, not as strong this year. He's always had a low hit rate for his career, like much lower than the majority of hitters. Walk rate has always been a bit of an issue as it approaches four. And he, his strikeout rate has been a bit up and down. But uh, a guy to pay attention to based on cost, Pedro Strope has been with the Cubs forever. One of those guys that has been constantly relied upon. Struggled this year in 2019 at age 34. Before that, just going down the ERA list, you know, 283, 221, 291, 285, 283, 226. Strikeout rate 10.5, 10.7, 11.4, 9.7, 8.6. This year jumped to a 10.6. Big difference for him is the jump in home run rate and his hit ball rate. Uh, I mean, if he's cheap, but I, I mean, Stroop's probably... One of those guys you do not chase just because of age, and it's clear that there are some regression factors in play. Drew Smiley is another guy whose name has come up. 
but he is mostly been effective and I wouldn't even look at him. And then to me, the jewel of this class in terms of who's left is uh, Delon Batances. Appeared in one game a year ago for two-thirds of an inning, but you go back to that, what, four straight All-Star games, arguably the best reliever in baseball at his peak. You know, 90 innings, 84 innings, 73, 59, 66. Strikeout rate for his career of a 14.6. Walk rate at 4. Hit rate at 5.4. He's utterly filthy. He's going to be, let's see, when does he age next? He turns 32 in March. He's never really gotten a big payday. He's a six foot eight fireballer who is just, like I said, at peak was arguably the best reliever in baseball. If I want to go and give a guy a prove it deal, it's Dellen Batanzas. Um, I feel like, you know, Will Harris is going to be the expensive guy because of the long track record of success. Batanzas is certainly someone I would love to see the Indians chase. I don't know if that's going to occur, and it's very unlikely too. But so here's my, basically this episode turned into my offseason plan. The Indians have money to spend, and they need to be smart in ways of doing it. I go out and talk to the Yankees and try to get the best player who can help me now. Plus, Lucas Gill is an interesting prospect. I sign Cesar Hernandez, and then I attack this middle relief market since I'm trading Brad Hand in the Yankees deal. And I'm, I'm trying to get Batances, but I'm looking at multiple guys who I talked about here um, on top of Batances. He's my, my A1. Uh, number two would be Harris, again, cost prohibitive I think is the issue after those two guys I'm probably looking at, at Steve Chiswick maybe Alex Wood is a, a buy low candidate uh, to be a, a, a potential pen arm as a, as a lefty with his stuff and if I can't get that deal with the Yankees to work uh, Corey Dickerson is the outfielder I'm chasing along with uh, Hernandez but there are ways to be smart you know I'm not saying go out and sign the top of this class I don't think Donaldson's likely um, I don't think uh, signing Ozuna is the case. I don't think some of those guys up there are the pieces to go. I think you can get three to four really good players to help supplement what is a talented lineup. Um, you get down to it. There's not a lot of teams that have a better one-two punch at their best performance as Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. This is still a team that can win. They have a, a pitching staff that is led by two potential aces. They have depth throughout their starters. We have a top five catcher in the American League. They have the guy who was the best offensive first baseman in baseball a year ago in the American League. Yeah, they've got a gaping hole at second base right now. Uh, they had a runner-up for Rookie of the Year who put on an absolute show. They have an absolute masher against left-handed pitching. And they've got a six foot five monster of a DH who could have 40 home runs next year. There's talent. I say a lot of talent. Let's supplement Let's get the pieces in place to make it so that if we have Lindor for two more years and they decide to run with him for two more years, this is a team that can win. I want to thank everyone for listening, especially during these dark times as Indians fans. Um, Again, Class A is a really interesting pitcher. Let's be thankful we have him. Let's keep moving forward, though. This is step one in what has to be a multi-step move for the Indians. Thank you for listening, rating, and reviewing. That helps the show so much. And as always, Go Tribe!